You are listening to a 14-week teaching series from Jubilee Church entitled Acts. Luke, the author of Acts, tells us in chapter 1, verse 1, that the Gospels were only the beginning of all Jesus did and taught. The book of Acts is the continuation of Jesus' ministry on earth through the church, and this story is continuing today. This sermon series will address key themes in the book of Acts and connect them with our lives today. If you would like more information about Jubilee Church, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. We are going to continue our series uh, in the book of Acts. Uh, It's called Unfinished Business because we believe uh, that that the church uh, is a a continuation of the ministry of Jesus. The Bible says that we are the body of Christ, that we are the hands and feet of Jesus. And so our purpose is wrapped up into the purpose of Jesus. And so he came to seek and save the lost, so therefore we are here to seek and save the lost. That uh, that Jesus came not to be served, but to serve the the world around him, and, and therefore we are here to serve the world around us, and so we have some unfinished business to do, and so, uh, and through this, uh, we've just been hitting some key themes. This is, I believe, the 12th message, and today I thought it'd be cool to kind of take a look at um, one of the churches that Paul the Apostle planted. We remember a few weeks ago, we learned that it wasn't always uh, Apostle Paul, uh, uh, it was once Saul. Uh, he was, went from Saul, murder of Christians, to now Paul, uh, leader of Christians and uh, responsible for writing a lot of the New Testament and really getting a lot of uh, things started. And he planted several churches, and we, and we get to read these in the book of Acts. There was one in Corinth, there was one in Philippi, and, and many others. And uh, we're going to read one today about the, how this church got started in Ephesus, but more importantly, or more specifically, I should say, is what, what kind of people did he meet? What, what kind of people make up the church? What kind of a groups did he relate to? And how did he address that? And I think it's helpful for us because we want to, as a community here in St. Louis, we want, we want to plant uh, lots of communities all throughout the region of, of not just St. Louis, but Missouri and, and, and really the nation and the world by, by, by God's grace. But also maybe you're here today and uh, you might find yourself, hey, I'm one of these people that, that Paul had come to meet. And so I hope you hear today afresh that, you know, Jesus has come to meet you, Jesus has come to uh, uh, invite you along, and maybe you'd find yourself uh, in that uh, picture. Just a couple quick things about Ephesus. Ephesus was a was a major city, kind of like uh, St. Louis is a major city. It serves as uh, a base for the region. Uh, lots of, of of people throughout the, this Midwest region um, depend on St. Louis. That was true uh, for Ephesus as well. In fact, I was in, which is modern-day Turkey, I was in Ephesus a couple years ago to have some pictures I'd just like to show you. Um, This is a kind of a temple-type place uh, that... um, that Paul, the, he certainly would, it was really cool being there. I was with a group of pastors and we were all kind of geeking out a little bit. But he certainly would have been preaching uh, from this area. And then let me show you a main road that went through Ephesus. And, and definitely Paul just would have gone down uh, this road uh, and uh, maybe even had his tent shop here. He would have preached, these are public toilets. And, um, you know, he's got a captive audience and so it's a, it's a great... Um, place to preach there. And then, of course, this is, this is where, when we're going to read in Acts 19, this is where this, the riot that eventually, as you get through the, toward the end of Acts, this is where it all happened, and where they're yelling, and, and it was cool. The way they built this was just amazing, because um, 
when you're standing there talking, this was probably as, as, as big or maybe even bigger than Riverport Amphitheater. And uh, you could hear clearly from the, from the very back row just how they understood acoustics and everything. It was just phenomenal. And uh, yeah, that was, that's Ephesus. And uh, that is the city to which Paul uh, comes in and, and preaches the gospel. And, and so like I said earlier, you know, St. Louis and this area has a lot in common with Ephesus uh, for a lot of reasons. Um, and uh, like uh, Ephesus, St. Louis is just like that. They have, uh, they, uh, Ephesus was a pretty spiritual place. Like it would have been really difficult to find uh, someone who was just, uh, I, you know, I don't believe in, I don't know God, don't believe in God, but a lot of spirituality. You know, if you would have went to your lo- local borders in, in Ephesus, you would have found uh, lots of titles, like, you know, 10 ways to achieve this, six steps to this. And that's very much our culture, no matter where you are in America. So there's a lot that you can learn uh, when, you, when you study these kinds of places that Paul went to. Uh, and Ephesus is one of those. So let, let's just read, and we're, we're going to read a lot of verses today. Uh, so I hope your eyelids are nice and uh, stretched out. Uh, if you need to do that, go for it. But we're going to read, uh, starting here, verses n- uh, 1 through 7, and then I'll chat. So it happened while Apollos, who was just another church leader, was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples, and he said to them, here's a question, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believe? And they said, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, into what then were you baptized? They said, into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance. So we'll come back to that, telling people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is Jesus. On hearing this, you know, the light bulbs come on and they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they began speaking in tongues, prophesying. Uh, This first group of people that you could call this group pro-God but not fully connected. Um, th- this group was aware of God, but they, weren't, they didn't get the memo on Jesus or the Holy Spirit. So in terms of the Trinity, they got one out of the three. Uh, they knew about John the Baptist's message, but they didn't get Jesus' message. And what was John the ba- who was John the Baptist? Well, he was a guy, you know, he ran around with camel's hair. He had a straight diet of honey and locusts. He drove around in a 1970 VW Bug. He was that guy preaching and he had his message could be boiled down into one word which was repent which is God is holy and you're not you need to stop what you're doing you need to turn around you need to be different that uh, you're not who you're supposed to be and that was the message and it, it's actually a good start it, it's John was brilliant at getting people started in a relationship with Jesus but it wasn't the entire um, message is a lot. It's a lot like people today. A lot, a lot of people have a vague understanding of who God is. They understand that, okay, okay, I get that God is holy and that I'm not what He really that I, I'm I'm not good enough and I need to try harder. And so that's what that's how you connect with God. Is that if in order to connect with God, He's really holy and you're and you're really not. And so the only way. Uh, to connect with God is to become more holy, to do, to do better. And, and so that was kind of where they picked up on. And uh, that, that is true of a lot of people today. They didn't know about the love of Jesus. They didn't know about the Holy Spirit. And it's so important. See, God is, God is one, but somehow uniquely uh, three. And to understand all of God, you need to understand all of who God is. You need to understand the three. And that's why many people in America are very God aware, but they don't have the whole picture. They're not really fully uh, connected. And the book, of, uh, the book of Galatians, the letter of, uh, of Galatians, they're known as epistles. Epistles are just a fancy word for letter. And this is a letter that Paul wrote to the Galatians. 
uh, because as he went and planted these churches, um, he, he found that people were really confused about who God was and who Jesus was. Just like today, many people are very confused about who God is and who Jesus is. They confuse religion with Christianity. And he writes this, which is very helpful for us understanding who Jesus is and the Holy Spirit. He writes this in Galatians 4, 4 through 7. This should be on the screen for us. Um, it says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that's all of us, so that we may receive the adoption as sons. So Jesus came to make us sons. And because you are sons, guess what? God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So here's what he's saying. He's saying that Jesus helps us to become sons of God. Well, I'll say it more directly, Jesus makes us sons of God and the Holy Spirit makes us feel like sons of God. Many of us have this head knowledge of, of who God is and even who Jesus is, that we, we know who he is up here. We, we know that we're sons, but we don't always feel like we're sons. We, we have this vague connection with him that's all head and no heart. And this is true. If, if you're, you, this could be true if you're not a Christian. You just kind of have this vague understanding of God. Or maybe you are a Christian. And, and, your, and your relationship is all head, no heart, so you're, it's kind of like I am a part of the Christian religion, and you're just kind of all robotic about everything, but you're, you don't really feel it. You don't really you don't feel that connection. There's, it, you, you don't really know what people are talking about when they say they have a personal relationship with Jesus. It's just, it's just a statement to you, but it, it, doesn't, it doesn't connect with your heart. But what Paul's saying is that Jesus wants to make you a son, but more than that, the Holy Spirit comes in and sets your heart on fire to where you cry out, Daddy. I mean, how many of us here today would say, you know, the first thing that comes up to me when, when I think of God is my spirit leaps, Daddy. I know from my own walk, it's just, you know, you, you just go through those periods where you, you see God more as a boss and you're just dutifully following him. But actually, that's not what God wants for us. He wants us to see him as daddy in relationship. I mean, you think about uh, the story of the prodigal son. You know, this, this is a very famous uh, story in the Gospels. If you're unfamiliar with it, it, Jesus tells a story about this benevolent father who had lots and lots of wealth. And he, and he had two sons. The younger son uh, said I, he wanted it as inheritance now. He was just 18. And he says, hey, look, I wish you were as good as dead. I don't really care who you are. I just want... Uh, what you have. And so he goes off, as we know, he spends it on sex, drugs, rock and roll, blows the whole thing, and he comes back to his father who represents God, and he quite sheepishly says, hey, look, I've blown it. I know I've blown it. I I know I've blown it. And I'm no longer good to be called your son. Treat me as a slave. And I think a lot of us, whether we're conscious of this or it's just an unconscious reality, is that we, we, we know that we've blown it. We know that we don't measure up, and we feel like we have lots of ground to make up, so we don't really feel like sons. We don't feel like daughters. We, we feel uh, more like slaves, and it just feels like we have this heavy debt that we have to carry, and, and really our relationship with God is paying off this debt. So it's kind of like, you know, I owe, I owe, it's off to church I go, and so that's, what, that's, your, that's your world, and you... Um, um, it, it, that's how you relate to God, is you're paying off a debt. But the Bible teaches, and we, and we feel unworthy, and the reality is we are unworthy. But there is one who was very worthy on our behalf, who died in our place. 
to make those of us who were once slaves to sin not become slaves to God, but sons of God. That we've been legally adopted, that the cross accomplished and afforded to us our adoption papers. And then he didn't stop there. He gave us the spirit to make us not just be sons, but feel as though we're sons. You see, when, when, uh, in, in the story of the, of the prodigal son, when the prodigal questioned his sonship to reassure him what the father didn't do, he didn't go back in his study and say, Here, here's the adoption paper, see? No, he hugged him and he kissed him. He didn't go for the head, he went for the heart. And in our relationship with, with Jesus, God, God, we do need to know objectively that we are, we are sons, and we are daughters. And, and we need to be able to read it here and say, oh, yes, I, I can see that this is what God has done for me. But, but, but brothers, that's not good enough. We need, to, we need to feel it. We need our hearts to be set on fire. Some of, you, of us just have this vague sense that, of God's existence. Again, you, you may not even be a Christian and you feel this. Or you may be a Christian and you feel this. You, you may just have this vague sense of God's existence, but you're not really sure. You don't have that inner voice in you reminding you over and over. You're not, you're not hearing that voice, I should say, reminding you over and over again, hey, you're a son, you're a daughter. And when you're not, when you're not living out your relationship like that, it's so easy to get caught up in a religious mindset versus a Christian one. And they're two totally different dynamics. Religion is outside in. So you, you obey, you do certain things. Uh, so if you, in religion, if you live right, you know, if you read your Bible, help the poor, go to community group, things like that, if you do what you're supposed to do, then God will bless you. So it, 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 God will bless you. Christianity is, is inside out. God, outside of us, independent of us, without our permission, went to the cross, and he died for us. And he accomplished for us, outside of us, uh, our uh, salvation. And now because we, we, we are uh, we, we are in him, we, we, try to, we try to please him, not because, not so he'll bless us, but because he already has. He has infinitely blessed you in Christ Jesus. You, you, you don't need anything because, according to Scripture, you have everything that you need. And these are two totally different dynamics. In religion, you obey because you find God useful. You know, he, he'll, he'll bless you, he'll answer your prayer, he'll get you to heaven. In, in religion, God is useful. In Christianity, we, we obey him because he's beautiful. Uh, we, we praise him. Uh, our, our, our obedience is aesthetic. It's not, util- it's not, it's not being useful. It's, it's, it's like a movie or, or, a, or a great painting or a sunset. It's like the painting in, or, or the sunset is beautiful whether or not we mention it or not. It just, it just exists as it is. But when you're captivated by something that's, that's beautiful, you, you want to get your friends involved. And you say, hey, you've got to see this. You've got to see the look. You've got to see the colors. You've got to watch this movie. And, as we, and, and, and that's true. As the more of our friends that come along with us to enjoy it, we enjoy it more. And that's the way God, God it, it's praised him every time. And so... It, in Christianity, we, in, it's, we don't obey him because he's useful. We obey him because he's beautiful. We don't, we don't obey him to get something from him because the reality is he's giving us everything, the scripture says, for life and God. He's given us all things. Now, we don't always feel that way 
which is why we need the Holy Spirit to electrify our hearts and to tell us that we're sons of God. This was Paul's prayer for the Ephesians. If you read on, um, so Acts is a story of how, Acts 19 is a story of how this church in Ephesus got started. And then he goes back and he writes a letter called the Ephesians, that, um, in, in, which we've preached a couple times here. And he, he comes back to this group of people. And he says, hey, you know what? When I think of you Ephesians, this is my prayer for you. I kneel down before the Father. And this is my prayer for you, that you would know the height and the depth and the width of God's love by the power of the Spirit. That's what it's prayer for. And, as, and today, I, my prayer for all of us is that. That we wouldn't just, know, hey, uh, okay, I get the gospel. I know that he died for my sins. I have this vague kind of understanding of who God is. I have this vague understanding that I may or may not go to heaven one day. But what God really wants to do, he wants to electrify your hearts through the power of the Spirit so that you can know and that you can know the height and the depth and the width of God's love. I just wonder if that's where you're at today. Here, here's the thing, man. We, we, can, we don't have to make it through some maze to have this happen. We can just come to him and say, I, I want that. Jesus is so lovingly but yet direct when he says things like, you, you have not because you ask not. Man, I hope that you would ask for that today. Um. So the first group of people were pro-God but not fully connected. The second group can be described as intrigued but resistant. And we'll read about them in verse 8 through 9. It says, And he entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, he being Paul, spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way. The way was what Christians were called. That was what Christianity was called, the way. And so here, here's Paul, like he's preaching the gospel and, he, and he's, he's reasoning and persuading with people for three years and, and people keep coming back, people keep coming back, keep com- coming back. But after three years, at the end of the day, people's hearts were still hard. And this is a massive group on earth. When we go and preach the gospel, or maybe this is you today, is that there are a lot of people who, who like want to hang around and be a part of the crowd and, and are fans of Jesus, but never really come to the place where they, they go all the way. Um, and Paul, uh, Paul, Paul met groups like this. Jesus met groups like this. Many times he would preach to big crowds and everyone gathered around and were very intrigued, were very interested in Jesus. He's a good teacher. He's a good... But yet when he, when he came down to it, he said, okay, this is what it looks like to follow me. You call me Lord. I'm not just rabbi. I'm Adonai. I am, I am Lord. And, and many people walked away. And that happened with Paul as well. You know what? It happens in St. Louis that it's not enough just to be a fan of Jesus. It's not enough just to say, hey, you know, he's a good teacher and I, I learned some things from him. It's not good enough just to be rabbi. He needs to be Lord. And you see this in, in the Bible. In um, many stories, Zacchaeus, uh, Zacchaeus in Luke uh, 19.3, it says, and he was seeking to see who Jesus was. He was seeking after. They heard a lot of things about this rabbi. You know, he's the, you know, on all the cover of the magazines. And, you know, he was this new kind of rabbi. He put religious people in their place. And, uh, you know, people loved him because they saw him backing their agenda, backing their political agenda, feeding them, healing them. Uh, he was everyone's favorite teacher. 
And so Zacchaeus was intrigued by this rabbi. And then it says this, it says, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. Now, one of the things you read about in the first century to be called small in stature means that you were under five feet. So, so truly, he was a wee little man. And a wee little man was he. And so he ran ahead and climbed up a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried down and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they grumbled. That's the religious people because they didn't like him um, uh, befriending this tax collector who basically ripped them off. Um. He has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to Jesus, Behold, Lord. So he called him rabbi in the beginning. He calls him Lord at the end. He says, Look, half my goods I will give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone, I will repay it. Somewhere between him climbing up the sycamore tree in his house, he went from being rabbi to Lord, and the fruit of it was what you see in his life. Well, he gave away his possessions. This is what we see as well with Peter. Let me show you this again, Luke 5. Uh, we might have some of these uh, verses on the screen, but basically Peter had been out fishing all night. He was a, he was a professional fisherman, fisherman and, they're, and they didn't catch anything. They didn't catch a boot, and like they just they came in, and, and uh, they were super tired, and, and they were uh, they were about ready to give up, and, and this young rabbi comes up and says, hey, can, I, can you press out in your boat? Can I use your boat as a pulpit? And they're like, sure, whatever. And so, um, and the, but then he says, hey, why don't you cast on the other side, and, and uh, you know, uh, he says, put, put out into the deep and let down your nets. Um, now, verse 5 is great, specifically if you're married, you know what I'm talking about here. It says, Simon answered and said, Master, or Sir, or Leader, or Teacher, is just a sign of respect. It wasn't, you know, you're my, it was kind of almost sarcastic. Hey, Teacher, we toiled all night and caught nothing, but at your word, I will let down the nets. So this is basically Peter saying, hey, you know, okay, we'll go your way. You know, here's, here am I. I'm, I'm a professional fisherman, but you who read books for a living, you know, we'll, we'll do what you say. It's kind of like that moment where, you know, like your spouse says go left, but you know it's really right. But you say, hey, you know what, I'll go left anyway. I know you're wrong, but we'll still do this anyway. This is kind of what Peter's saying. He's saying, okay, we know that you, we'll humor you here, Jesus. Now watch this. When they had done this, they closed in such a great quantity of fish, their nets were breaking, so they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both of the boats, so they began to sink. But when, Je- excuse me, when Simon Peter saw that, he fell at his feet, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. So there's a transition again. In the beginning of it, he was master rabbi teacher. But something happened between that point and to the end to where he ceased being rabbi, teacher, to Lord. And the fruit of it was that he left his fishing business and went after and followed him. One more just to show you this. Um, And we'll get back to Acts 19. Matthew 26. This is right before the death of Jesus. He's got his crew all gathered in what's called the upper room discourse. Uh, he's, he's gathering them, he's, it, the mood is getting very serious, he's, getting, he's telling them he's getting ready to die, and he's going through, um, you know, this is where we first learn about communion, 
and, and we'll pick it up in, in Matthew 26. It says, Now when the evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve disciples, and they were eating and said, Tru- Truly I say to you that one of you will betray me. Being deeply grieved, each one of them said, Surely not I, Lord, not I, Lord. And so Jesus is saying, Hey, one of you is going to betray, betray me. And each one of them, each one of the disciples was goes, Hey, is it me, Lord? Is it me, Lord? Is it me, Lord? Not me. Surely not I, Lord. Not me, Lord. Now skip down to verse 25. And Judas, who was betraying him, said, surely it is not I. What's that say? All right. If you're new to your Bible, Judas is not the guy that you want to be like. Some people see Jesus as a good rabbi, good teacher. But that's not, that's not, that's not, You've not gone far enough. There has to be a moment where he, he ceases just to be someone you find useful and helpful and you can deal with and tolerate. He has to become Lord. And the fruit of that is how you live your life. And that's what we see here in Ephesus. Check out verse 18 in Acts 19. It says, And many of those who are now believers came confessing. Uh, they confessed sin. So what does that mean? That means to say, hey, you know what? I used to do, what I used to do was wrong. I need to go in a different direction. They confess sin and divulging of their practices. So they put to death, hey, we, we're going to stop doing certain things. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them. And it found came to 50,000 pieces of silver. In your life, if you're, if you're someone who's like, you know, I want to, I consider myself a Christian. I want to be a Christian. Christianity isn't Jesus being your rabbi, Jesus being your teacher. Be, Je, be, becoming a Christian is Jesus being your Lord. You can be intrigued but still be in, resistant. You can hang around. You can even be a part of a church. You can be a part of this church. And yet your heart isn't willing to go to where you call him Lord. And the fruit of that, well, the fruit of it's costly. The fruit of it is you leave everything. You, you let go of anything that comes in your way. How can you, how do you know that your heart can be resistant? Because that's the thing about hearing the word of God and hearing the gospel. Is it says that the same sun that melts the ice hardens the clay. And, and there's messages where you or you'll read the Bible and someone will read the same verse and it'll melt their heart and and some it'll just make their heart harder. How do you know if your if your heart is melting or being resistant? Well, I know in my life, number one, I lose passion for those who don't know Jesus. When I know my heart is getting hard, it just is about me, and I don't. I'm not really that thoughtful. Of course, I want you know I want good things to happen to all people. But it's not really something I'm seeking to do. I, I'm certainly not anywhere near the neighborhood of Jesus who ra- summed up his entire purpose for coming as to go and to seek those who were lost, to go and to serve those and not to be served. So one of the things I know in my own heart is when I'm being resistant, when I know my heart is resistant, is I just kind of lose my passion for the lost. The second one is I just give up opportunities to grow. I'm not really looking to wake up in the morning and, and read the Bible. I'm not really looking to pray for anyone or have someone pray for me. 
I'm not looking to really get myself around other believers to have them challenge me and have them encourage me. Have them um, someone I can confess sin to. I'm not really looking for opportunities to grow. You know, Paul later in one of his other letters to the, to the church in Philippi said, you know, I'm not, I'm, I'm not really resting on where I've come as a believer. I'm just, I'm, I'm setting that all aside. And I'm keeping my, my gaze set on Jesus. And I, I'm running after him. I'm going after him. I want to know him more. And I know when my heart gets resistant, uh, one of the, the, the warning signs is just that I just don't look for opportunities to grow. Thirdly, I lose my sense of gratitude. I just get disappointed all the time. People disappoint me. I disappoint me. God disappoints me. I just lose my sense of gratitude. Um, I mean, because... I mean, because of what Jesus has saved me from, if I really get a, a, um, a hold of what he's done, I mean, I, we should be just shouting every moment, This is amazing! Everything is awesome when you're part of a team and heaven's team. And um, I lo- fourthly, I lose my sense of generosity. I just don't, I just, I tend to kind of, I, I'm not, I'm afraid to let go of things because I, I've lost sight of who God is and what he's done in my life. So it tend, I tend to clam up with my time. I tend to clam up with my money. A couple more groups of people, then we'll close. Um, you know what? I'm going to skip a third group. We'll go to the last group. Uh, this last group is wrestling. This is a group that's kind of like the second group, but they're, they're wrestling with the implications. Um, and, and you'll see what I mean here in a second. Verse 23, uh, Acts 19. And about that time there arose no little disturbance concerning the way for a man named Demetrius, who was a Russian mob boss. uh, No, he was a silversmith who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together and with the workmen in a similar trade said, Men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. So they're making these gods out of silver and they were making a killing off of it. But now all of a sudden the gospel is being preached and nobody's wanting to buy these statues of Artemis anymore because they're, they're demo- they just destroyed them. And now they're looking to follow. There's like, hey, wait a minute. We're, we're, this is starting to affect our economy. This is starting to affecting our lives. That's what he says. He says, and there is danger not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis, I know they cared about Artemis, not their wallets, may be counted as nothing and that she may be even d- disposed from her magnificence, she whom all Asia and the world worship. And when they heard this, so here's a divided city. The gospel comes into the city. People, um, you know, he, they meet people who, Paul meets people who are pro-God but not fully connected. He tells them about Jesus. A light bulb comes on. They get connected. They receive the Spirit, prophesy, speak in tongues. And so they, they know that God loves them and they feel as God loves them. They meet another group. Some are persuaded, some are hard and resistant. But the, as the gospel went deeper and deeper and deeper into the city, it created a riot. And this is what we read about, verse 28. When they heard this, they were enraged and crying out, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. So the city was filled with confusion. 
here's the thing that happens. When, when the gospel invades a city, when the gospel invades a life, there's uproar. It, it changes the land. It just, the gospel just changed the landscape of the city. It changed the economy of the city. Things weren't different. When it, it used to go this way, and now it goes this way, and there was an uproar. And people were like, hey, wait a minute. Wait a minute, what's going on here? And people begin to notice that in their own lives, and that's true. Maybe you're here today, and you're like, man, the gospel, the, the true nature of the gospel has penetrated your heart. And there's this uproar, there's this riot happening inside your heart. And there's this very real temptation in order to bring peace. You, you, you can kind of fall back into the way you once were. So maybe you're a new believer here, you've been... Christian maybe just for a few months or maybe a year and like you receive the the gospel with joy and now the the implications are beginning to take root and there's a war happening and and Paul to the letter of uh, to the Ephesians um, in chapter 6 of 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 Ephesians um, talks to him about spiritual warfare he says hey look when you, when you I don't know if I told you this or not but when you enter into when you become a Christian, you, you're entering in a war zone. And there, it's not, it's, there's no duality. It's not like, is God going to win or is the devil going to win? Is God going to win? Is the devil going to win? No, you know, on Calvary, the, the throat of Satan was mortally slit. But there's mind games that he plays. And there's lies that he says. There's, there's an uproar. He, doesn't, he, he, he knows his fate and he wants to take as many people as possible with him. And, and he wants to confuse as many people as possible. And so Paul says, you've got to suit up. You've got to armor up. You've got you to know who you are. You've got to put on the helmet. You've got to wear the breastplate. You've got to be armed because there's a battle. It's not flesh and blood. Your battle isn't with your sister. Your battle isn't with your brother. Your, the battle, the war, the uproar, you think it's... Your sister, but really there's, there's a war going on. There's a riot going on in your heart. Because it's, becoming, it's, it's, it's coming head on with the implications of the gospel. Let me ask you a question. When you, when, for those of you who may be experiencing that riot right now in your heart. I just want to encourage you to not avoid and try to bring harmony. Because Jesus says, you know, I've not come to bring peace. I've come, to, I've come with a sword. For those who are not willing to leave father and mother and possessions and houses and all, if they're not willing to leave that and go after me, if there's any division in them at all, they cannot be my disciple. And that causes an uproar in our hearts. I just want to say, hey, don't avoid that. But embrace it. Understand that it's the gospel taking root. It's the gospel taking root. So we're, I mean, maybe today, maybe, you know, I've been talking to us about, hey, when we go into a city, when we go into new places to plant churches just like this one, we'll encounter these people. But the reality is maybe there's many of us here today who put themselves in what, what are, are you, are you pro-God but not really fully connected? Maybe you don't know that. Through Jesus, you can be adopted in his family. Or maybe you are adopted in his family. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. But you do not, you don't feel like a son. You don't feel like a daughter. 
when you think about living the Christian life, it just exhausts you. And the reason why it exhausts you is because you see it as a debt that you have to pay, a burden that you have to carry. God wants to relieve you of that debt. Jesus says, come to me. First of all, come to me. And when, when you come to him, one of the things he does, he says, you come to me and I will fill you from your innermost being will flow out living, living waters, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit that testifies to our spirit that we are sons of God, that we are daughters of God. I, I want you to know that, but I want you to know that this morning. Or maybe you're like, you know, you're intrigued, and so you've been hanging around, and you're just kind of on the edges. You're, you're still that resistance. You're still not willing to let go of things. And the gospel... Don't be those who harden their hearts. Psalm 81.10 says, If you open your mouth wide, I'll fill it. Honey and all kinds of other good stuff. And then the, 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 it, we get warned. Don't be like those in the day of the rebellion. Those, the, the Israelites who refused to enter into the promises of all God had for them. Because they wouldn't trust them. Trust God today. Trust Him. Let go of the life that you've lived and embrace the life that he has for you. Or those of us who are just dealing with just the implications of all that, there's riot, there's a riot going on in your life. D- don't run and hide. Don't avoid that. Say, no, okay, God's, God's breaking through. God's really invading my city, my life. It's a good thing.